Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Murdo. Bring us in, James. Welcome to The Leaf Report brought to you by Babsox. I'm not wearing Bab socks today because it would feel very weird to wear them and then go to practice and talk to Mike Babcock. And think I, so? I think that's a break in protocol. Didn't someone last year ask him a question while wearing Bab socks? Wasn't that a thing? It was at the World Cup, remember? It was some guy from like hockeydudes.com or something. Uh, it was some site I'd never heard of before. Okay. And I, somehow he was at the covering the World Cup and and uh, he he was wearing his pants in a way that the socks were very prominently shown and babcock said nice socks <laughs> that's, that's how he that's how he answered the question that's appropriate in handling it all right so you've introduced us so i don't have to do any more of that you did say it was brought to people by bab socks, oh right? man i just talked about bab socks for the whole time all right okay so we're gonna do a podcast hopefully that doesn't sound terrible so that's our number one objective number yeah, two jonas for last week yeah totally my fault uh number two we're gonna try to answer some questions on this podcast because yep. there's no like I guess there is one front burner topic that we'll get to, but then we figured this would be a good time to answer some questions that people have. Uh, so let's start with the big topic, which is Austin Matthews. So reader question from William Francis on Twitter. What is wrong with Matthews and why has the team been so streaky? Well, we'll get to the, let's do the Matthews part first. What is wrong with Matthews? We think it's his back. We talked about that last week a little bit, but I... If people didn't listen last week, I they could be so forgiven bad. because I didn't even listen to last week. <laughs> I didn't even want to listen to it. Understandable. So what we don't actually... The tough thing in the, the Lamorello era is you don't actually know what the injuries are. You can speculate. Upper body. Upper body. Like, you may as well just tell us injury. What is upper body? Like, upper body is just kind of well, useless. I guess it's We know it's not his leg. Yeah, I guess that's helpful. We know it's not an ankle or a foot. I was looking but at couldn't his, they just say whatever they wanted? Like, it could be his leg and they could just say... This doesn't mean anything, but I was looking at Austin Matthews' shoulder pads. He's got these Bauer shoulder pads. They're the same ones that I wear when I play. They're, uh, they're like, kind of skimpy shoulder pads. Um, and he's got this big, huge black piece of padding that he's got sewn on 
on his uh, like over his uh, spine basically to protect him. So not that that's what the injury is, but the speculation is that it's a back injury. He talked a little bit about how it was affecting stick handling and his his movement kind of and and uh, restricting him that way. Um, I kind of think he's going to play on Thursday, but I don't know. we don't need to go too deep into that because people well, by the time they're listening might know you might know if he's playing or not by tomorrow. Well, so do you want to talk about like how they played with without him? Yeah, that's kind of what a lot of the questions we have gotten are. Okay. Well, so they won. They won all three games. They've won four in a row. It's a good example of why you should never use those stats of like with a player, without a player, team record. Oh my record. god! Do you know when that was really bad in Toronto was Colby Armstrong. Right. Good player, fine <laughs> player, but there used to be like these weird. Great quote. Good guy. Good guy. Yeah. Tries hard. All that stuff. But like there used to be these stats where their record without him was really bad and their record with him was was good because they needed more heart on the fourth line play in nine minutes. So yeah, so let's be careful with those. Um, but I think what was interesting there's a few things that stood out without Matthews. A was what they did with the lineup, and obviously that meant um, playing William Nealander with Nazem Kadri, and then creating kind of this very defensive line with Patrick Marlowe centering Connor Brown and Zach Hyman. And basically what he did was he took some of the defensive zone starts and those types of matchups that would have gone to Matthews and gave them to Marlowe. So I did, like it wasn't really anything earth-shattering or surprising, but... It's I interesting that those... I'm going to say four games because they won four games last week and they haven't played since then. They were kind of boring games. They were kind of like defensive battles. The Boston games were like physical. It was different than the Leafs have played this year. It was, I... I would call this the Leafs kind of like erratic. Like you don't know what they're going to be. It seems like they had like they're they look different all the time. So, but Mike Babcock seems happy that the hockey's been kind of more boring lately. Well, they're not giving up. I mean, the shots in that one Minnesota game, I think it was, yeah. were bad. But they're not giving up. Like the Boston two Boston games, I didn't check the the high danger scoring chances or any of that. But it didn't look like they were giving up some of the glaring brutal chances that they're giving up before and maybe we shouldn't be surprised because matthews wasn't playing but they weren't generating as many like great chances either so yeah that's true what did babcock say today it won't be a race to 10 every night or <laughs> yeah well basically like if you're not I, I, what he was really frustrated with earlier in the year was uh they were turning the puck over all the time mm. and that was leading to some chances against mm-hmm and so now I think he feels like they're starting to eradicate that a little bit from their game. Maybe they're stabilizing a little bit to like... I mean, it's kind of weird to watch a Babcock team be that bad defensively. Yeah. But the other thing that, that really happened while Matthews was out um, was the Marner-Van Riemsdyk-Bozak combination. One was reunited. Two looked better and yeah. looked more like they did last year. And obviously the big part of that was Marner. What kind of did you notice about him? Or he, have looks, you? he looks a lot. He looks more confident with the puck, he, and he's making some of those like pinpoint long range passes. It was interesting, you know. Van Riemsdyk's talked about this a couple of times to both you and me about they wanted that line back together again. Like they, I think they were a little bit. All those guys were a little bit lost, broken apart from each other, and they felt like they had good chemistry, and they felt like they all had good seasons last year. And yeah, Bozak career year. Well, and they all kind of felt, or at least Van Riemsdyk really felt that they had been unlucky with some of the goals against that were going in. Right. Which is like half true because the save percentage for that line was really low. Right. But they were giving up like some really bad chances and not really generating all that much. Right. So, and they were outscored pretty heavily. And Yeah. 
anyway, I mean, but but for the Leafs, like it's a really big thing if, if Mitch Marner is back to what he was last year because when when he's not, they're just not as threatening. Like when you have three lines that can beat you, three legitimate lines that can beat you, as opposed to two, that makes a big difference. Like Van Riemsdyk, Bozak, Marner, they can take advantage of like second and third pairs and second and third lines. Um, just based on how the lineup's structured, you know what I mean? So there's some good questions here. I'm going to go to another one. The unfortunate thing with taking questions is I have to try and pronounce these people's names. Andrew Patrisco, C-Z-K-O. Patrisco, barring an injury, Andrew asks, what will it take for Sashnikov or Levo to crack the lineup? It's a good question. So Sashnikov's come up. He was at practice today, has that clause in his contract. He's been really, really good uh, with the Marlies. I think he's first. I'm pretty sure he's first in shots on goal with the Marlies and one of the top guys in the American Hockey League. He's a guy that Mike Babcock loves, and Babcock talked today about how much he likes having him at practice and the energy that he brings and, you know, all of those kinds of things. It's a real positive for the Leafs organization that after dealing with a concussion for, what was it, six months? It was a long time he dealt with a concussion, that he's, he's back at 100%. And um, I guess the question is, how do you find ice time for all these guys? Well, so to me, he's like a obvious potential replacement for Leo Komarov next year. He can do, like he can kill penalties. He's physical. He's a good skater. He can play potentially on that line with Kadri. But now, like where he fits, they need injuries. Like the only way that him or Levo get into the lineup is with injuries. And and for for Levo, you know, he's gotten these last few games on the fourth line hasn't looked great now it's hard when you're playing like, i didn't like his game liners, friday against boston but he hasn't looked great yeah. and like and he's getting that power play time and yeah. then he's had some bad turnovers and on the power yes, play and, and very noticeable turnovers right almost caught, turned into a shorthanded goal there on friday and yes and so and he took a penalty and he, so you don't get you, the thing with babcock is you're only going to get so many chances before he's just like you know what I, I gave that guy a shot yeah and it's tough like because he's playing on a fourth line but he is getting power play time um, but if Matthews does play, Levo will come out. And then when he gets to play again, I don't know. Because at some point, they're going to want to see Soshnikov. And Soshnikov on a fourth line, if somebody's out, makes more sense than Levo. So, Levo, so should, but wait, Levo's so, in trouble. But so the question is, should they trade one of those guys? And I think the answer is no. Because like you always would rather, I think for a team that is trying to win, you would rather have depth in the case of injury, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like what's the point in I trading kinda, Josh Lebo for a fourth round pick? Yeah, I don't I, know. Like, I what? I think you're probably right. Yeah, or like trade a Leo Komarov, or I mean, like why would you do that, right? Yeah, I think I'm I'm leaning towards just keeping all these guys. You look at what their record is right now; they're on pace for 104 points. They have a good chance to get home ice advantage in the playoffs. Potentially play a team like Ottawa in the first round. I mean, there's a lot of things lining up well for them, other mm-hmm. than the fact that Tampa's in their division and looks really, really, really good. Next question. That, next question. Here, what do we got here? Um, lots of trade questions. Marner and Martin really clicked recently. I know it's the fourth line, but is there any harm in just keeping Marner there? That's the best that that line has ever looked. It did look pretty good. I mean, they did seem like kind of energized playing together. That when it was uh, Bozak, Marner, and Martin for whatever reason, that's like the best hockey we've seen Matt Martin play. Yeah. I guess. The problem is that Marner can give you way more minutes than that, right? He, like, he should be... Especially when Matthews is out and you need that offense. Like, they've had a harder time generating goals lately, and their shooting percentage has come back to earth a little bit. 
you can't really put him on the fourth line because you need him to be playing more than that. Well, and if you if you have Van Riemsdyk in that spot, he is a lot more capable around the net than Matt Martin. So it's good. Like I, I wondered your thoughts on this. I wrote about Van Riemsdyk for the Athletic at some point this week. Do you think like? Does this make you think that maybe they should keep him if they can keep him in this kind of role for the right price? Or do you, does this convince you that they don't really need to keep him? Basically, sorry, I should say that the it point of the piece was... It depends to me on the number and the term and all that kind of stuff. Like, if he wants a seven-year deal, I say no. Okay, so let's say he went five by six or five by five or five two. Or, you know what I mean? Like, somewhere yeah. in that ballpark. Does it make sense to keep him? When you can potentially have like a 30-goal, 60-point guy in your third line. Well, the interesting thing about keeping JVR is that they're okay next year under the cap. So maybe you just sign them to a deal and then you make a decision down the road who gets traded and like who has to open up that room. Maybe you decide a year from now we don't need to give Jake Gardner a big contract because... Travis Dermott's Travis Dermott's really good. Or, you know, so you can kind of punt on that decision for another year... The only thing is you want to sign JVR to a contract where you're going to be able to move him. And you can't don't want to give him a no-trade clause. This is what the old regime used to do, is give these guys no-trade clauses, and then you couldn't move them. And hmm. they were getting too much term and too many dollars, so it was hard to move them. If you can get him signed, you know, five years, 5.2. I mean, if that's possible, that'd be fantastic. I think he's probably going to be closer to $6 million a year. Okay, so under that scenario, is that something you do? Like, let's say it's 6 by 6 Like, then it starts to get into... I don't know. Like, he's playing 14 minutes a night. Like, he's not playing a ton, and yet he's on pace for, like, 40 goals and 70 right. points. Right. And he's really good on the power play. And it's but, not as easy to replace what he does as we sometimes well, so think it is. Like, Sashnikov, Levo, Andreas Kapanen, Johnson. They're not going to get guys, 30 goals These guys can't points. replace what JVR does, so. Yeah, everyone, most of the questions we are getting are about all the forwards. People want to know what they're going to do. Yeah. Here's one more. Here's a good one. Uh, Jonathan Drakenberg. How much is Luck responsible for the four-game winning streak? They haven't looked very good to me. I think that that's probably fair. I mean, would I mean, I would, two or three of the games were close. They didn't deserve to win the Minnesota game. Um, the Vegas game? Eh. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, they were up through, I think they were up 3-1 in that yeah, game. Yeah, they were. But they hadn't played great. The thing is, is that they've got a lot more talent than Vegas does, so like they should, like they didn't outplay them. It was a very even game. I think that the most of those four games were relatively even. I don't think the Leafs look good. I don't think they look terrible. They kind of just well, the Boston game they kind of snuck in there. The first one, they tie it late and score in overtime. Right, and then the second one, eh? <laughs> Are they like it's it's kind of a thing for the year? Like they they really haven't been. Roll like I know they got off to the six and one start, but it's not like you looked at that and you're like, man. I know it was actually I think on the day that that stupid gambling thing came out about them being the Stanley Cup favorite mm-hmm. when you, they were six and one and you looked at your season and you're like, eh, like they yeah. they, they haven't looked like their like as possession the and like their share of scoring chances and all that stuff was really good those first few games like so yeah, like that true. was encouraging like that looked like that was a big step up from before and then they had a big stretch where all of those things went the wrong direction and then. They had a stretch where Austin Matthews was one of the only guys that was really... That line was the only thing really that had a positive effect for, for them. They they won two of eight, right, at one point. Yep. They had to win some games. And then now, now they win four games in a row. So it's that's what I say when I say that the team's been a little bit erratic. It's hard to know exactly what, what this Leafs team still is. I mean, I don't know if they're... 
a 95 point team like last year or they can be a 105 point team I don't know that we've established that yet no because we don't have definitive answers on like a lot of things like I, I wanted to get your thoughts before a question um, about Neander. Uh I think it's like 11 games without a goal something like that his Point shooting percentage is, down. is real low right like his shooting percentage is five, five and a half, half yeah. he's got 55 shots in 19 games um, I don't know you wonder if some of this is like, you know, the time he's been away from Matthews, the few games without Matthews. But does it make you think anything different about I don't know. I don't know what my question is. I'm just kind of curious like <laughs> about how his season has gone so far. Because like in preseason really early in the year, him and Matthews Looked were just dynamite. Yeah. And then it kind of slowly tapered off to the point where it was like Matthews looks really good, but you're not seeing as much from Neilander. Um, well, and without Matthews there, it makes you wonder about Nylander. I mean, I did a piece on should they split them up right before Matthews got hurt, and it didn't really get read by very many people because it came out the day that, that Matthews missed practice and, and wasn't playing. Um, but what was interesting looking at those numbers is that Nylander away from Matthews is, has not been very effective. In the minutes he has played in the NHL away from Matthews, he hasn't been – he's been okay, but he hasn't been – Well, so maybe that tells you like something about – I don't know. Is it too soon to, to say that that tells you something about his future? Because, like, maybe he's just not going to... Like, maybe he can't be... I don't know. Like, you watch him and you figure he can be the driver of a line. Why couldn't he be? Like, look how talented he is. Yeah. I don't know. Like Jim Hiller, the assistant coach today, I was watching at practice, had had uh, Nylander and Marner facing off one-on-one over and over and over again. We, You and I were both standing there just beating the shit out of each other. That was the drill. was just, like smush the guy against the boards as hard as you can and hold him so he can't move and then try and get out of it and they look like they were getting pretty tired of of doing that but Mm -hmm. I I think with both those guys they're trying to they're trying to get them to the next level they want them to be like as competitive as like Kadri they want them to have like a fire that like they're like we've seen that from both of those guys at at certain points Mm -hmm. I think they just want to get it to the next level where it's every night they're they're driving the team not just a line yeah because they are their best players the other thing with, with Neander I think that Bear's mentioning is he's basically on a second power play. That power play hasn't gotten a ton of time. And just looking at it right now, like he has one power play point since October twenty first. Right. And so like one of the things that was really good with their power play last year was him and Matthews just going back and forth. So you take Matthews out for a few games. They're clearly now the second power play. Like How he, many points does Nylander have, period, there? It looks like he's got like three points in the last he's 10 got, games or something. Yeah, he's got 13 and 19 on the year. Uh, and, yeah, it's like about... He's exactly on pace for fewer said. points in last year, I think, at this point. Yeah, but like you mentioned, shooting percentage is down. Yeah. He's, I don't know. Would you look at his year and say he's he was like excellent in the second half? Like he might have been their best forward. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't quite seen that lately but that's the thing like we sometimes forget with Matthews and I think I mentioned this to you in the press box he's still doing everything at even strength like he is still on a second power play guy um, definitively like last year it was split this year it's like clearly the Van Riemsdyk is their number one I don't know like the fact that he continues to do all this at even strength like he was uh, I think he's got 16 even strength points in 16 games it's a bit unusual that your best player like Yes. by far is not on your top power play yes. unit. It's, it's, and it's, it's unusual crazy. that you have the best even strength, one of the best even strength players in the NHL for sure. Matthews is, his production at even strength is crazy. Um, 
isn't making that difference on the power play. It's well, because why? Like you and I both know, like their power play is really good, and that Marner, right. Bozak, Van Riemsdyk, Kadri, Riley unit just works. It works. Yeah. So like, why wouldn't you keep going to it? Yeah, it just seems weird that like it's crazy. Like imagine Crosby like, being on a second. It seems power weird play. you couldn't like sub Matthews in for Bozak and improve but, that. But why? Yeah. But, but, but I get. That, yeah, I but know, it makes but, sense because then you have a second unit that's just yeah. as threatening. If Although you it, use it. it hasn't been because well, they haven't. Yeah. They don't use it as much. Right. What's next? Do you have any more questions? Um, Rob Somerville would like to know about cryptocurrency and the advent of artificial intelligence. Huh. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, well... Jonas yeah. is... People probably don't know, but Jonas can talk about anything. He's he's very well read. Cryptocurrency I find super fascinating. I was watching a documentary about it. Beyond, something about Bitcoin. It's on Netflix. It's interesting. It's like you just invent something that's like worth money. Yes, well, that's basically what money is. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, that's it. kind of what the documentary. It's got like when into. you look at this like dollar these bills that yeah, you have, they just can be exchanged a, yeah. for goods. It's not worth anything, right? Anyway, what else? <laughs> Discuss whatever you want as long as it's into a functional microphone. That's fair. That's from Dat Special Sauce. He's got a avatar of a sleeping bear. Okay, here I've got a question for you. Since you haven't found any yet, you can keep looking after. They're it. all about trades. All they want to know about is Sashnikov's up, so now they got to trade somebody. It's funny, like when I do the mailbag, like half the questions I get are just about who's getting traded. People love, people just love trade rumors and stuff like that. If you ever get a scoop about a trade, the site will melt down and, <laughs> and crash. Well, do you know what's one thing that like I think is interesting is so far in the year it has kind of to me a little bit uh, expose the fact that they still need to go and get another defenseman okay well here's a question it's not so much a question it's just a hashtag it says Hainsey for Norris I'm gonna say that that's not gonna happen they're in trouble like they can't expect to get this out of Ron Hainsey the whole the year. whole year yeah no not just on the PK like I know you wrote about how much he's penalty killing what is it 80 he's playing 80 per 6 86 percent 86 percent of the Leafs time shorthanded is with Ron Hainsey out there, which is like I've never seen before. And you did the the math, and like it's never happened. Like no player, no player has played eighty six percent of penalty kills. I don't know what made Mike Babcock look at his penalty kill and be like, hmm, you know what? I'm just going to play one guy the whole thing. Well, it's two guys basically, right? Like right. Zaitsev is averaging like four minutes. Yeah, himself. he's at sixty five percent. So he basically doesn't use anybody but those two guys. Like he loses Riley a little bit for like thirty seconds at the end. Yeah. Yes. So that doesn't seem sustainable, especially when he's going to be 37 in March. But Yeah, but what I was going to say, too, is that the, how well Ron Hainsey's yes. played at even strength probably isn't sustainable either. And, you know, you look at you look at the ice time for the D. I was looking at that Hockey Viz site does a really cool thing where it tracks ice time, like, over time, like, like how it changes per game. I shouldn't put my hands in front of the mic. Um, and the D, the top four D, it's just a flat line. Like, they're not, they haven't changed. They're all just playing 21 minutes a game every night and it's yep. they're all right there at the same and that's I don't know it's really really interesting I wonder what happens like if a defenseman gets hurt or when a defenseman gets hurt because it's going to happen well I guess it depends like, on can which Borgman side play top yeah that's true but do, who do you feel confident that he, any of those guys could step up and I guess Carrick could play more minutes I guess Carrick can the one that's really interesting is like the Gardner Zaitsev pairing hasn't been great no and that's that's a big thing given how many minutes they play right and the big thing I keep saying the big thing. But the interesting thing with that is they're not even facing top lines like yeah. generally anymore. That might be the 
most concerning thing. That's a concerning thing. With it? Anderson turning things around lately, maybe the most concerning thing is that Jake Gardner is not Jake Gardner yet. Well, Nikita Zaitsev is kind of the same a little bit as last year. Right. So it does like expose the fact that they are missing one. I guess the good news with Zaitsev is that there's only six years and three quarters left on the contract. Yeah. So you can just wait it out. And then they love him, love him, and I'm working on a story about that, so it's like top of mind. But the numbers do not like him, right? But the Leafs love him, right? So, but like, if I don't know, I think they would be better off if they had another top 4D and they could play Ron Hainsey on their third pair. So, is your depth chart up to date now? Yeah, well, actually, no, Kelly Rosen's on it here. This one I don't change as much. This is like just the organizational. Wh- who, wherever Jonas is. has this depth chart in Excel, and it's like it goes all the way down to like. Like, you got Ryan O'Connell on there on the D. You got Emily Rassanen, who was the second-round pick at the draft this year. Fedor Gordiev is in there. Jack Walker. I don't even know where some of these guys are playing, to be honest with you. I probably should know. Where's Jack Walker playing? College? Yeah, I believe so. Anyway, you don't... Ryan McGregor. The point is, like, they... I, I like, still... this is how sick Jonas is. He's got a depth chart that goes all the way down to Ian Scott in goal. Yeah. <laughs> so... It does kind of, to me, expose the fact that they can use one more D to play in their top four. I just don't know where that's going to happen or how that's going to happen. Here's my question, though, for you, and this is not related to the D. Has Marlowe been better than you thought he'd be? Yeah, maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I wasn't 100% sure what we would see from Marlowe. See, I was a little bit higher on him than... Oh, yeah? Yeah, just because he can skate. Like right. and, and he's not... He's on pace for the number of points. I think I said he would get 20, 25 goals and 45 points. He's on pace for about that, right? Like, I think... Yeah. Like, he's not going to be... He's not a star anymore. No. He's old. Yeah. He's been very, very good defensively. He's been a good skater. He's been... His versatility helps him a lot. He's like your sixth or seventh best forward on a Well, good, let's on a count. Where is he right now? Okay, so Matthews, Nealander, Kadri... Marner, Well, ben he's probably Ramsdijk. been better than their sixth well, or seventh best this year because but, some of the other guys haven't been as good, right? Right. But, I mean, the fact that he can PK a little bit, the fact that you can move him to center, he's had some games where he's played really well at center, which that some of that stuff has surprised me a little bit. The biggest concern, I think, with us when we started talking about the Marlowe contract in the summer was, what does it look like in year two and what does it look like in year three? And yeah, what, that's what's the bigger the team's, concern. Yeah, so like I... I'm totally fine with him right now. I mean, he's 19 games into his Leafs career, so... He's on pace for 35 goals and 56 points. Okay, so that's a little bit higher than I would have thought. But he's not going to score 30. Well, man, he I mean, 27 he's, he's goals last year. He's getting lots of good looks, so... He's, on, he's shooting 16%, so it's not... It's a little, it's a little bit high, but it's yeah. not crazy. He's been fine. I mean, I don't have any concerns with him. I just... I don't know what he looks like next year, and I don't... But usually when the guys... The interesting thing about him is that he's... Everyone thought, oh, he's not going to play that third year. And I thought that, too. It's like, oh, he's just... He's that, get, that's not how he's thinking about it. Well, I he's never thought of, that that would happen. He's, he's thinking, not that type. No, he's not like that at all. He's thinking he's going to play till he's 44. Like, he's, he thinks he can be like Yager or Recky or... Well, Hope. so, obviously, I've done a lot of work on him. Um, the reason I think it's different with him... Usually what happens with older players when they drop off is that they can't keep up. Like, the, something goes. Like, the step, they lose a step or, you know, they're not as quick. I know what that's like. He's not going to... Like, that doesn't seem like it's coming soon. Like, obviously, some of the underlying numbers have dropped off. But he's still smart. He can still skate. He can still score. I don't know. 
What do you got? Let's see if we got something better in here that's not just... <laughs> do the Leafs consider moving Matthews after this 4-0 run? <laughs> that's from Mongoose. That's Moon a good, Goose. good question. Yeah. I did see... There's someone did say that I, I saw in a Facebook group there this morning, so... That goes back to our, you don't, you should not pay attention. Oh, this guy says more cursing in the podcast, please. You were saying the F word, which I did. I was did surprised I? about. Yeah. When was that? Last podcast. Oh, well, you used it in your story. Well, the guy said it. What am... I think, I think in podcasts you can say what you want. Okay. I don't know. We're giving the people what they want here. I said, I already said shit on this podcast. Okay, that's so a good question there. I see it. Read it. Should Sparks get a, given a shot at the backup spot? Yeah. Well, I want to see... Yeah, I mean, McElhinney's last game was pretty good. Yeah. but if wait, wait, like, So that that was the story coming out of Saturday's game was McElhinney and the goaltending's looking better and all that. Like, And then after the game, Hockey Night Canada showed the highlights of McElhinney's game and they, they like put together the highlight pack and I watched all the saves and I was like, well, he didn't really have to do that much. They didn't like, give up a ton. He kind of just like was in the position you would expect any NHL goalie to be in, and the puck hit him, and like that was where the saves. Like he faced a lot of shots. I think he had thirty-seven saves or something like that. Like not to keep picking on McElhaney, but like I don't think he did anything special in that game. I think the answer to that question is that yes, if McElhaney struggles, if his numbers are weak, then yeah, Sparks should get a shot. He's been unbelievable with the Marlies. But I would bet they give him. 10 games before that would even start being a conversation? Like, let, let me see just quickly what his save percentage is now. It is 9-10, yeah, which he, is better than Frederick Anderson. Who's 9-10 you can live with. I mean, Sure, if that's what he is. But his first two games, he was 8-69. I mean, if that continued for five or six games, then I think, you know, he gets... Henny gets Mackle wavered. So there, there's actually some more good questions that have shown up here. Okay, go ahead. Anthony Guzzo says, I heard Riley mentioned by Dom LeCision as a number one D-man material. What do you think of that, and is his point production sustainable? Well, he's on pace for like 70 points, so that, that's not going to happen. But I think that Riley can be a really dangerous offensive player, for sure. That's never been the question with him. The question with him is how good can he be defensively. So he's playing against top lines. He's playing on the top power play unit. He's producing a ton of points. He's been one of their best, probably their second best player behind Matthews this year, maybe. Right up there. Kadri's yeah. in that conversation. Yeah, Kadri's been good too, yeah. I guess the one thing with Riley, he's not a number one D yet because they don't really use him in all situations. He has to play more like, minutes. He has to play more minutes. Like, but where do we rank in the league in terms of minutes played? He's probably like 45th or well, he's something. He's only averaging like, around 20. Right. Like, he's not killing penalties. Like, that is a big thing. Like, all number one D generally. I asked him about it. I said, this is kind of weird in that you and Ron are playing the top, the tough minutes, but you're playing less than. Gardner and Zaitsev and he's well, like he said that well I think we talked about this last week but he yeah. said that the D care more about who they play against than how much they play but it's just I don't know like so there's a bunch of things happening with this lineup that are weird and that Matthews is your best player but he's not on your top power play unit Riley's your shutdown D but he's not playing he's playing fewer minutes it's, and not killing penalties I don't know I, it feels like Babcock is like over these past few years it's like a puzzle right just slowly putting more pieces on the puzzles of Riley's like career. Like so first year he's just like you're only going against top lines and you're killing penalties. You're not playing on the power play. And you're dragging Matt Hunwick around. With yeah, you and then the second year he's like okay, now you know you're going to continue to do basically that same thing, no power play. And then this year he's like, you know what? We'll add power play, we'll take away penalty kill. 
Like he, you know what I mean? He's like trying to build this defenseman who can do everything. But I st- like, he does he have number one D potential for sure? Yeah, I think he does, and I think he is, and he wants it. That's yeah. the other thing. Like, and, and I thought it was interesting in talking to him, kind of about what's gone right. One of the things he told me that he realized after last year is he was so focused on shutting down top lines, like that was all he thought about. And so when they would have those nights, and they had a lot of them where it didn't go well. He would like beat himself up about yeah, it. Yeah, he it's seemed like, like he was pretty down last yeah, year. And yeah, and it's like he's kind of lightened up and figured, you know what? Like, there's more to it than just this. And I don't know. He's had some success. It's, he seemed like not this year. He seems a lot more confident. And I mean, obviously, it's easier when you're playing well and everything's going well. But he just seems like happier, more confident, Morgan Riley than. Well, the other thing is he was playing with a rookie. Like, we forget that Zaitsev was just a rookie right. who was playing on North American ice surface for the first time. Right. Like, he, I was talking to him. I'm writing a story, on, like I mentioned, on Zaitsev. And he was thrown into way too... He played a ton of minutes ton last of year. Minutes. Yeah. Well, he was immediately basically on their top pair. Right. What's the next question? So, I don't know what you how far you can go into this, but Roy Longmire wants an update on the top defense prospects. Numbers aside, how do they look? Is anyone pushing for a job anytime soon? So Timothy Lilgren is hurt right now with the Marlies. I know that, uh, which is not good. But it, apparently his numbers are good, but apparently he's played very, very well too. Um, I like that Dermott-Lilgren pairing potentially as one that can be on the Leafs within two or three years and making him an impact. So, you know, and I think the organization is very high on both of those players. So I think that the reason they're not with the Leafs isn't that they don't think that they could contribute. It's that they really want them to play big minutes and play in tough situations and, you know, not be third-pair guys in the NHL, be, be mm-hmm. difference makers in the American Hockey League. The Marlies have a really, really, really good team this year. Their record's, what, like, they're like 11-3 and three or something like that. Uh, Marincin's been very good down there. He's, well, that's a bit, but he's that's not a, a prospect defenseman. But. Yeah, but that's important, like, for them, if they get to a point where they don't want to, Borgman gets hurt or Borgman's not playing well. They have an option. Maybe they have an option. Like, and, and obviously, Dermot's an option, too, there. Kelly Rosen has kind of been forgotten a little bit. Yeah, I think I think it's okay if we forget about him. I don't think he's going to make... I think I saw so. enough of him that I don't think he's much of an NHL option. So, I, it's mostly just Dermot and Lilgren. Is there anyone else? Some of the prospect guys are really high on Rassanen. But, I mean, That's these guys away. these guys playing in junior, like, we don't really see very much. I mean, maybe he'll be at the World Juniors or something and... We can see what he is. Well, but that stuff starts to become important. Oh, um, 100%. Summer 20... Two years from now. 2019. Yeah. They need they need some of those... I think my projected roster for the Leafs two years from now had both Lilgren and Dermot on the top six on the on D. Well, it's at that point where Hainsey becomes UFA, and so he's gone. And then they have to decide if they want to Gardner. sign Gardner to a big contract. Right. And they have all of those other contracts coming online too, right? Like Matthews yes. and Marner will be paid. Nylander will be paid the year before that. If Marlowe is still playing, which is what we've been talking about, that he might still continue to play that season, do they sign JVR? I mean, their cap situation could be really, really tight. Yeah. So they need some of these prospect defensemen to step up and play. I think the good news is that early on in the AHL season, all indications, everything I've heard, is that Dermot and Lilgren are accomplishing that, aside from, obviously, the injury to, to Timothy Lilgren. Um, it's been really good this year having... We, we have Scott Wheeler at The Athletic uh, covering the Marlies. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic, you should, because you'd get really good Marlies coverage, and then 
the people that are there watching the Marlies uh, every day, like Scott, know what's happening with that team better than we do because we're mm-hmm. around the Leafs every day. Um, Don't you have to throw out the promo? Yeah, code I, was, at some I, was, I was working my way to that. If you so, if you haven't subscribed to the Athletic, we'll give you thirty percent off. Send me a message on Twitter, and I'll be happy to to give you a deal. And if you do subscribe, thank you very, very much. Okay, I'm going to interject with another question. One guy who we have not seen very much of lately is Roman Polak. Yeah. I don't believe he's played since the Three games, either the right? St. Louis trip or the St. Louis game or the L.A. game. One of those was the last he played in. Actually, I can check. I keep the line. Well, he was brutal against San Jose. Did he get in after that? San Jose uh, was when it was a complete disaster. With the last game was L.A., November 2. So I talked to him the other day, and he was in, like, good spirits. Like, he was basically like, you know, if some of these other guys are playing better, they should be playing, which is not really what I expected to find because the only way for them to figure out if he can still play is by playing him. And yet, if they play him and he's not good, he hurts them. So it's a really tough spot if he's not going to He wasn't play. ready, I mean, is the thing. Like, I don't well, think his skating was where it needed to be. And I think that I noticed in practice on Monday that it looked like he was starting... He probably just needs to work his way back in. But right? you can't do that unless you play games. What if Polak's just a seven or an eight guy and he just sits out lots of games? Yeah, I mean, that's like, fine. I guess that's okay. If he's content to sit a lot, I mean, it's better than having someone with potential. It's better than sitting Carrick or it's sure. better than sitting Borgman or it's better. I mean, I Polak in a way is, if he's not going to play that much, it's not the worst guy to have no. him sitting in the but press But the only box. thing it does hurt is like their penalty kill that they're using nobody. Right. I think at some point they just need to start giving some minutes to whether it's... Like, Borgman's numbers in really small sample size are pretty good. Maybe give him some. Maybe give Gardner, Riley, like... It, or Carrick. It, I mean, like, just, like, start working those guys into the penalty kill meetings and see what they can do. I mean, at least give them 30, 40 seconds a game. Or you got to take some of the load off of those guys. Yeah. It's, it, one of the questions that we got was, like, what if Hainsey gets hurt? I mean, what he, you know, he's played 86% of your penalty kill minutes, and if he's hurt, you don't, like... You, Who gets you, those 86%? You, yeah, you have to throw someone in that hasn't been penalty killing at all. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, Mike Babcock just clearly, and he said it, like, he thinks Hainsey and Zaitsev are on another level. And statistically, so far, they are. But he's not really giving anyone else a chance to show. And it's interesting, like, he actually said earlier in the year... Like, we keep talking about giving other guys a chance, and then and we, we get don't. in the game, yeah. we're just like, nah, screw it. We're trying to win the game. We're not going to go with guys. So I wonder if they're, like, if they're leading a game by, like, three goals or whatever, and they, they have a penalty kill. Maybe yeah. they should just throw it, like, maybe it should be, like, a Gardner-Riley, or, like, just to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. And see what they do. It's crazy that we're here in November talking about, like, how big an impact a Ron Hainsey injury could have. But, like, he's been that good. He's been excellent. It's he's like outperformed his contract. He's outperformed what anyone thought he could do. Now the question is, can he keep it up? It doesn't seem realistic to think that he can. I mean, I know that the Pittsburgh fans still complain about how he played. I mean, they won a cup with him in the lineup, but his you know his number he had a tough. Well, time. they had the toughest time against Washington. Him and Brian Dumoulin. Yeah, but in the Cup final, they were okay. Like they weren't great. So maybe. He can't be a top pair D in a playoff series against Washington. That's that's his limitations. But if you're trying to win a cup, that's eventually going to be what you have to do. Right. I don't know. It's going to be, yeah. I don't know. The, the blue line's going to be a constant evolution. I know a lot of fans want them to add like a big piece, like a big ticket piece, but that would blow a pretty big hole in your salary cap a year or two from now. Well, are there any... Actually, I'll look it up while you're there. Are there any guys 
that could be available. Well, there's a lot Expiring of talk about. Like, uh, you look at what's happened with the Coyotes. I was watching them last night. They're two fifteen and three to start the year. They have not won a game in regulation yet after twenty games. It's the first time that has ever happened. There's a lot of talk about Ekman Larson. I think he's got one year left on his deal. Is that right? There's a lot of talk that Ekman Larson could be traded here. So, is that a piece that makes sense? His next contract is going to be massive. He's a lefty, right? So I think so. Yeah. That's a. That's interesting. That's not perfect. I think we've talked about some of these guys on the podcast. We do this every time. We're like, who could they? Who's going to be available? That's not a good. That's not a good sales job for. Well, like John Carlson's a UFA, but I'm pretty sure Washington's going to ante up and pay him the money. He's playing like 25 minutes a night right now. So, well, you had mentioned Zdeno Chara in one of your stories, right? I don't He's think also a lefty. Trade him. Yeah. I mean, if Boston falls way out of it and they can't get him re-signed, I think I think Chara's just a guy. He's a guy that interests a Lamorello and a Babcock. He fits. Like you look at the players they've added, like Marlowe and Hainsey. Chara's the kind of like character veteran. If I have leadership, ass- yeah, but if all I have, that stuff. if I have assets and I'm spending assets, I'm not spending it. On well, like he could a be UFA. Chara could be UFA in the summer, so it's not an asset. You could just sign him to a one-year. Oh, contract. I'm talking about now, right? Oh, and I would not sign him. What are you going to have? Thirty-seven-year-old Ron Hainsey and forty-year-old Zdeno Chara? Yeah. Come on. They're gonna. How many forty-year-olds do you need? They're, they're gonna. Sit. They're gonna old the other team to death. <laughs> Lamorello's trying to redo what he did in Jersey, where he had out leadership the other team. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. The other team will just wave the white flag. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much character. All right, I think I think we're finished. You've decided. I don't know. You're I'm, Jeff O'Neilling it. Oh, it's forty minutes. Jeff Jeff would just stop talking, wouldn't he? I just leave. Does he leave? It just leaves. <laughs> All right. So hopefully this doesn't sound terrible. We'll be back. The podcast is always brought to you by Bobcat. I can't even say it. By Babsocks. Babsocks.ca. Anything else you want to add? No. Okay. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. See you, James. You better check yourself or you wreck yourself because I'm bad for your health. Thanks for tuning in to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Murdo. Let tricks know and freaks know we got that in dope. No, I'm not a sucker sitting in a house of pain. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.